We're going to look at our passage today. It is coming from 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, verses 8 through 13. Let's go ahead and look at that. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. And here's what it says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, because he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here in your presence to hear and to do all that it is that you have for us here this morning. We pray that your word that comes out of my mouth would accomplish its purpose, that it would bear fruit and accomplish the purpose for which you send it out. Lord, we pray for your spirit's help, for we believe in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, we have been looking at the book of 2 Timothy in the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament, in this series we call uh, Vintage, um, Seasoned Words to the Church. And there's a reason for that, right? Paul uh, had been at it as a pastor and a church planner for about 30 years, and he found himself in jail, on trial before uh, the Roman Empire, before uh, Emperor Nero. Yeah, you can read about him on Wikipedia if you'd like. Uh, he was not a nice guy, especially to Christians. Um, but here, here Paul was uh, concerned for his life's work. That is the church. You've got to imagine that. Your, your life's work, and here you are. You don't know what's going to happen to the church. He's locked up uh, in jail. Um, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times recently, but I've been reading an amazing biography about the pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during Nazi Germany. Right, and uh, Hitler was trying to stamp out the church. I'm talking about in a serious way. Uh, it is crazy to read about, and uh, the church basically couldn't function. Uh, like we could, we couldn't do what we're doing right now. All of us would be locked up in a concentration camp. Uh, and uh, so Bonhoeffer uh, was in jail for doing what I'm doing right now, and uh, he wrote letters to his family. And they were all positive. Yeah, it's not that bad here, you know. And he didn't want them to get down. He didn't want them to worry about him and get discouraged. But in his, in other writings and other people he wrote to, like, he got deeply discouraged. Yeah, he got, he got down. Like, he wondered about, like, all of his work as a pastor. You know, all of his work uh, as an author and everything that he did, he wondered, is it going to fail? You know, what's going to happen um, to my life's work? Right? And, and, and maybe that's not your situation here this morning. Right? Yeah, you're not uh, a German pastor uh, in jail in, uh, under Hitler. But sometimes life gets tough. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes it's like that. Life often gets tough and it's hard to keep on going. And, and that's what we're going to talk about here this morning is that sticking it out is tough. That's what we're going to talk about. Sticking it out in life in general um, is tough. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to this young pastor named Tif uh, Timothy because uh, he was concerned about him. 
you know? That was tough times for the church. And, uh, and Timothy was in a tough spot. I'll just give you one example, okay? One example. This man, Timothy, left his country, his family, his friends, his house, everything. He uprooted everything and moved to another country to be a pastor. That's tough in general. I mean, just moving, just moving an hour away or, you know, getting to different houses is hard uh, enough as it is. Um, if you've ever served on jury duty, here's one of the questions they ask you. Are you related to any of the individuals involved? So they'll, they'll ask you, as they're, as they're trying to select a jury, are you related to any of these people that are involved in this case? And when I served on jury duty, uh, the judge made a statement uh, here in Morgan County, less and less people are related to one another in Morgan County. So because no one said, yeah, I'm related to some of these folks uh, involved, um, she said less and less people are related to one another in Morgan County. And, and what does that mean? That means people left someplace and moved here to Morgan County. And that's, that's not easy. That's not easy to do. A um, friend of mine uh, here in the community uh, recently said uh, to me, he said, uh, I, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. He moved from a long way away. I'm talking like across the whole globe to be, be a part of this community. He says, I, I don't feel like I belong anywhere here. You know? And um, yeah, that's tough. That's tough to feel like that. You know what I mean? To feel like you don't, uh, you don't belong. That's exactly what Timothy did. Here he is pastoring in this city, in this country that is foreign to him. And Timothy had health problems too. How about that? Paul wrote to him, and in 1 Timothy 5, 23 says, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Timothy had stomach problems and he got sick and this and that. Paul said, man, stop drinking all that water, man. Have a glass of wine. You know, that'll be good for you in all kinds of ways. Just drink a little wine. Your heart will, your heart will get merry and uh, your body might feel a little bit, but your stomach, it'll help your tummy. All right, Timothy, so drink a little wine. But life is like that, and we have, we have health problems. So sometimes it gets tough to stick it out. And, uh, man, I talk to people uh, every week. I must be just, I don't know, people tell me these things. I talk to people every week who are going through a tough time, right, who are going through real tough times. I'll give you, I'm going to give you just a sample. This is a sample from a couple days. You know, I work in substance abuse here uh, with the county, and I lead a, a substance abuse group. And we were talking about common temptations that make you want to use. So I asked, asked that to the group, and this guy said, how about life? Life in general makes you want to use drugs, because it's tough, right? It, it gets very tough. Um, talk to a son whose mother is dying, folks dealing with guilt, shame, habits they, they, they try to stop. I had a man told me his dad was an alcoholic and beat him every day of his life. A guy told me his dad died and he was young, like six years old. He had to find a way to survive. Six years old, he had to find a way to, to take care of himself and his, his family. A client I work with said they use drugs to feel love because they haven't uh, felt love much in their life. So they use drugs to feel something, feel some type of uh, love. Family members who are sick, I mean, we, we got people that, that, that it is a miracle that they show up here every Sunday morning because of the health problems that they have. I want you guys to know that. Uh, you know, that people suffer in, in our church. Man who's having marital problems, his wife separated from him, and his dad is aging. Moms struggling with parenting. 
lady whose dad died tragically when she was young, and she said, I never knew the love of a father. She told me that. This is something that's been missing from my life. My dad, my dad died when I was like six years old. Woman who's had n- numerous surgeries and it affects her life every day. All right, here's mine. Sometimes it's just hard to get out of bed, isn't it? You get tired, and it's like, man, that alarm goes off. It's like, I don't want to get out of bed. But I've made it my goal, my personal goal, not to hit the snooze button. And if you do it, stop it. Stop hitting the snooze button, right? I made it, I only did it one time this week, right? So I, it was a great week for me, right? Um, but uh, I figured it out, though. I got a little trick. Subconsciously, I don't want to give an alarm goes off, right? So you know what I've been doing? I just haven't been setting it. I don't even, I, I, there's no lie, that happened to me uh, this morning. Um, Audrey woke up uh, before me, and I said something to her, I was like, babe, I got my alarm set. She comes in after I'm supposed to get up and said, you forgot to set your alarm. I literally, I thought I had set my alarm, but I, but I didn't, right? It, it's sticking it out, it's tough. So how can you do it? How can you stick with it? Let's look at what he says here, 2 Timothy, because this is what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to do. 2 Timothy 2, 8, look what he says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. All right, I want to read this to you from a, another translation, from the message, right? I, I, this, is, this is good. Let's look at this. Go to the next one. 2 Timothy 2, 8, right here. Fix this picture firmly in your mind. Jesus, how about that? You want to stick with it? Fix this picture firmly in your mind. Jesus, descended from the line of David, raised from the dead. So what is the answer? How can you stick with it in life? Especially as a Christian. How can you stick with it? Right? Fix Jesus firmly in your mind. Focus on Jesus. Surprise. The answer is Jesus. Yeah, focus on, focus on Jesus. We, uh, well, we started doing something uh, new as a church this year. We started something called Open House. And Open House, very simply, is uh, we're going to do that once a quarter. It is, uh, we have lunch after the service, and basically it's just an opportunity to hear about who we are as a church, uh, what we're focused on, and uh, people can ask any question that they want at the end. So we did that. We had a great time. And here's what we said. All right, here's what we're focused on as a church. Colossians 1.28. Love this verse. Here's what it says. We proclaim him. That's what we're focused on as a church. We proclaim Jesus. Risen from the dead. That is what we're focused on as a church. Laser-like focus. Clear on Jesus. And why, here's a question though. Why does Paul tell another pastor to focus on Jesus? I'd be like, hello, I'm a pastor, right? I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I know, right? You know, the, the Jesus stuff. The focus on, on Jesus and church and all this stuff. Right? So, Here's the deal. Everyone needs to remember Jesus, especially pastors. And Paul is telling another pastor about Jesus. How about that? Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Yeah, he was a descendant from the line of David, and he is risen uh, from the dead. This is what Paul always do, did. Whatever the problem is, whatever the situation is, remember Jesus. That's what he always did, because that's what it looks like to live life as a Christian. This is the truth. All right, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Here's another example. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart 
for, to preach the good news of what God has done in the world. What did he do? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, here it is again. It was a descendant of David, according to the flesh. And it was appointed to be the powerful son of God, according to the spirit of holiness. Here it is again. By the resurrection of the dead. So, remember Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. We forget Jesus. That's why Paul is always hammering. He's always beating that drum. Jesus, 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 gospel. We forget Jesus. And this has been the history of humanity from the very beginning. This is the history of Israel. This, is, this was their downward spiral. And it didn't take but a hot minute. God brought him out of slavery in Egypt. They brought him over in the wilderness to make him his own people, to bring him to uh, Mount Sinai and give them his word. Right? And they failed. Right? They forgot him. That's what, uh, listen to Psalm 106, verse... 13 and 14 says, they soon forgot his works. They forgot that he split the Red Sea and he crushed Pharaoh and all of his, uh, they sank like a stone into the bottom of the Red Sea. They forgot that and would not wait for his counsel. Look at this. They were seized with craving. There we go. In the wilderness and tested God in the desert. So we forget Jesus because we crave. This is this is humanity, right? We got things that we want deep down, right? And it causes us to forget him. Forget uh, he's risen from the dead, right? We want things God doesn't want for us. This is why we forget. When we crave the things that we ought not have or good things that we want above uh, Jesus, that makes life tough on us. I had a, a client this past week he got all kinds of issues in his life. All kinds of things that are, some of them are outside of his control. Here's what he said to me, though. I know I've created a lot of my own problems. Yeah. I know that because I've got some things that doggone I just want to do. I've created a lot of my own problems. And, you know, I think if we're honest, that's us, too. That we forget. Right? We forget. And we should remember Jesus. We should remember him. But we forget him in a lot of ways. Um, so, I want to share a couple ways that Christians and churches forget Jesus. Is that all right? All right, thank you. Thanks for permission. You guys are so nice. Um, yeah, so we know that we know what God wants from us, right? These are some things that God wants from me, but I know that I'm back here, right? And there's this chasm between who I ought to be and who I am, or, right? Maybe you're not a Christian or, or, or whatever, and you say, well, I would like to be a better person, but here I am. Maybe I would like not to hit the snooze button, but here I am hitting it multiple times every morning, right? So what do we do? How do we try to bridge this gap right here? Here's one way Christians and churches do it. They think that Christianity is about rules, keeping all the rules. If I just keep all these rules, I obey God, then he'll love me. If I'm a good boy and I obey the commandments, I come to church, you know, uh, or churches make up a lot of silly rules sometimes. Stuff that's not even in the Bible. Right? And they say, if you do this, if you keep these, if you dress a certain way, talk a certain way, listen to this music, watch these movies, do this, right? Um, you know, then you're right with God. And that's what's called legalism. Right? That is, if I obey the law, I obey the rules, then I'm accepted into heaven or God's going to love me. 
uh, or whatever. Um, uh, others, they just say they're Christians, right? Of course, I'm a Christian. That's the name tag I got. I'm a Christian, but their life has no evidence that they actually are Christians. Um, uh, that there's, there's, they live just like the world. Right? There's no difference between everybody else out here and them other than they got the little name tag that says um, Christian. This is called nominalism. That is being a Christian in name only. Uh, other people, they just get fed up with this. They get fed up with the fakeness of church, all the rules, all the hypocrisy, and all this and that. And they say, well, we just need to be authentic. Right? We just need to be real. We need to be broken. We need to just embrace the mess of, of who we are. And we just need to let it all hang out. And we just need to let it just, just be who we are. Right? And that is a reflection of the times that we live in. Because our culture says you just need to be your true, authentic self, whatever that is. That's just the way the church has become blended up with the, uh, the world in, in a lot of ways. And the danger with this type of thinking is forgetting Jesus. Forgetting the fact that Jesus says, you need to follow me. Right? And it calls to holiness and godliness and maturity. Like, like there is actually uh, the potential for growth as a Christian and maturity and stability. Right? Not just to constantly be a mess and your life being a shambles. No, you can grow. That's the problem with that. Other people just simply give up on Jesus. They just give up on Jesus and, and, and the church. Right? Currently, listen to this, three out of ten U.S. adults, that's 29%, are people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or just nothing in particular. I got, and I got an image I want to show you right here. And you can see this. So you can see Christianity is on the decline, and what you have on the incline is no religion whatsoever. This is the fastest growing religious demographic in the United States is people who say, I don't, they, they basically rejected the church because they got fed up with everything. And they said, listen, I, I don't really know what I believe. You know? So point is, we need to fix Jesus firmly in our hearts and our minds. We need to remember the gospel. That is the good news of what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus. And here's why. Sin makes life miserable. The Doing the things that Jesus died for makes life miserable. So we just got to know our history. We know the history of the Bible. Right? In the beginning, humanity fell in Adam. And that fall was cataclysmic. That fall not only affected our relationship with God, but it broke the world. That is, the world is haywire. Right? It doesn't do what it was originally uh, created to do. And uh, the world that God built falls apart. And look at how Paul tries to encourage Timothy in this. So we live in a world that bad things happen. You know, our bodies fall apart, we get sick, um, you know, we got hurricanes and all kinds of crazy stuff. But 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9 puts it like this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. Now look at this. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. Now what crime did Paul commit? None. He was telling people about Jesus. He was just doing what I'm doing right now, but he got locked up as if he had done something wrong. Now, that's not the way life is supposed to be. If you're doing what's right, you should be given justice. But here he was, given injustice in, in God's world. 
In other words, sometimes things happen to you that are outside of your control. Right? Bad things happen. People will hurt you. You get a disability or a disease or someone dies and we, you know, it's outside of your control. Paul didn't do anything wrong. He was just planting churches, preaching Jesus. Here, here's the deal. Some people don't like that. Right? Let's be honest with you. People don't really care if you're a legalistic church. If you're just like, we got to keep these rules and we got to dress this way and talk this way and uh, act this way and, you know, um, go through this ritual and this routine. No one really cares about that. No one really cares if you're a church in name only. We're Christians. Our lives are just like the world. Right? No one really cares. An authentic church is not dangerous. A church that preaches Jesus and is remembering Jesus Christ is dangerous. Dangerous in a good way. Right? Uh, and, and not everyone likes that. But th this is how... Uh, uh, Paul motivated Timothy and himself. You see that? Um, I reminded him about, about Jesus. There was a study that was done about these alcoholics that had liver transplants. And the study showed that the majority of the, the overwhelming majority of these folks that had a liver transplant, I don't know which side it's on, but uh, anyway, um, they never went back to the alcohol. And here's the point. If you have significant enough motivation, you can, you can, your life will be changed. If you've got enough motivation, you will do something different. And uh, here's the deal. That's what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. That Jesus is significant enough motivation for you to stick with it in life. Matter of fact, there's no greater motivation. There's no greater motivation in life than a man rose from the dead, and he's sitting on the throne right now. Um... Uh, Pastor Tony Marita is a pastor down in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Mago Day Church. He's also a professor at Grimke Seminary um, in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, he put it like this. When your tank is empty, remember the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied and you can, you can do anything if you have significant enough motivation. Man, that's good. I love that. I've mentioned that to like four or five different people this week. Tomb is empty, throne is occupied. All right, so let me ask you. How's your tank this morning? Is your tank empty? Where, where, where are you at? You on like, you on like, you running on fumes? Where are you at this morning? Here's an encouragement to you. I want, I want to encourage you this. That grave is empty. Jesus Christ has overcome all of our sin. He's overcome every demon in hell. He's overcome every disease. He is risen uh, from the dead. Now, are you worried? Are you frustrated in life? Good news. The throne is occupied. Whatever's all going on in this crazy old world of ours, in politics, or other nations, or things flying over the country, I don't know. I, I see the news every once in a while and crazy stuff's going on. Let me tell you this. That throne is occupied. There is someone in control, and it ain't no politician. It ain't a little group, or this and that, or some country, or some nation or, or I don't know somebody with a lot of power it is Jesus he is sitting on the world's throne in control sovereign Lord uh, over all you see the gospel Paul says my gospel according Jesus has risen from the dead descended from David according to my gospel when he says gospel what he means is that word means good news that the whole Bible 
is this message of the good news about what Jesus did. And here's, what, here's who he is. Jesus descended from David. So the Bible is the story about how there would be this king that would come in the lineage of David, in the family of David. This was, was the David and Goliath David, Israel's most famous king, that one of his great-great-great-great-grandchildren would be uh, this king, right? So the Bible talks about this coming king in a lot of different ways, the Messiah, the Christ. Um, so I'm going to give you one, all right? You guys still with me? One of the ways the Bible talks about this descendant of David is the servant, right? So the book of Isaiah has this whole section in, in the book of Isaiah where he, he's looking down, he's getting this vision. He's looking down through time and he sees this servant coming, this king, this descendant of David, Jesus. Here's what he says. I'll give you one verse. Isaiah 53. Go home and read the whole chapter. It's beautiful. He looks down through history and he sees this person. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. And this pretty much sums up the whole gospel. Right? That, that Jesus Christ experienced anguish. Have you ever experienced anguish? Like, oh. Just deep pain, anguish. Lord, this is what happened to Jesus, right? He was unjustly tried. People opposed him severely in his life. He was mocked. He was tortured. Anguish, nails driven through his hands, spit upon, beaten, prophesied to us. If you're the Christ, who did it? Beaten him to death. Purple robe thrown, a crown twisted on his head, and then hung up on the cross as a, as a public shame. Anguish. All of our sin poured out upon him. And he died. Jesus Christ experienced the greatest anguish of them all. Death. Death itself. And he died. But look, but look what it says next. After this, after his anguish, he will see the light. See that? Well, what does that mean? That means he died, but he got up and walked out of the grave into the, into the sunshine. He got up. He overcame death. He overcame every demon in hell. He resurrected uh, from the dead. And Jesus Christ, look what it says, he will justify many and carry away their nickels. Here's what, here's what that means. Everybody who comes to Jesus to believe in him is forgiven. He carries away their sins. No more is it held against them. Right? And he will justify many. Here's what that means. When you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven. But not only that, not only that, God says to you, not guilty, but as righteous as Jesus. How about that? That when we believe in him, God gives this gift to us and says, okay, your sin in exchange for his righteousness. In Christ, you, 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 his life is your life now. Right? He credits to us the righteousness of Christ. Now, I love what Paul says here. He says, um, you know, I'm locked up like a criminal. But here's the deal. The word of God's not bound. How about that? You can lock me up. You can put me in this dark cell. You can put me on trial. But here's the deal. The word of God is unchained. In other words, you can't stop the gospel. I don't care what people do. I don't care what any enemy of the church does. If they try to stop the gospel, it only grows. That's the fertilizer for the gospel. 
Um, so let me ask you a question. Do you feel stuck in life? Do you feel like in your life, like what you're doing is just like, what is this for? It's like, I mean, it's like, it's like um, you know, if you had to imagine Paul locked up in that jail cell, he couldn't do anything. He says, but I know the word of God is not locked up, right? Listen, you can't stop the word of God. That's how Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. I love what Martin Luther said uh, in the 1500s. Uh, he kicked off the, the Protestant Reformation. That's what he said. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word because he translated the Bible uh, into uh, the German language. He said, otherwise, I did nothing. All I did was preach it, teach it, study it. I did nothing. And while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer, the word of God did it all. How about that? I love that. You can't stop God's word, right? I was sleeping and God was still at work uh, through the word. So Paul goes on here, 2 Timothy 2.10. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus uh, with eternal glory. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, tonight is the Super Bowl. Yeah, I've watched like one uh, NFL game this year. But for me, the Super Bowl is just an opportunity to uh, eat nachos and uh, whatever else people make. Uh, that, that buffalo chicken dip, right? That stuff is addictive. Um, and just get together and hang out and have a good time uh, uh, with people. Right? But you know before the game, they're going to be in the locker room. Yeah, let's go out here. Let's get these. You know, they're going to be hyped up, uh, hyping themselves up uh, in, in the locker room to go out and play this game. And this is what Paul was doing here. Right? He's trying to hype Timothy up. He's trying to motivate him and, and, and encourage him. And he says, listen, I, do, I endure all things for the elect. Right, I endure all things for the elect. What does that mean? What are, who are the elect? What does that word even mean? Here, here's, what, here's the Bible's teaching on what that word means. And it's another word for real Christians. Here's what it is. Before God ever created anything, he chose to save some sinners out of this world, and he didn't have to do it. How about that? That's what election means. That out of this old fallen world, God, by his grace, his infinite mercy, chose to save some sinners out of this world. And that's a free gift of which he did not have to do. And that ought to hype you up. That's what Paul, this, Paul's saying, listen, I go through all this, these chains and this trial and this possible execution for the elect. Uh, this past week, I was... Uh, I was reading Romans 9, and I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, right? The whole Bible in a year, right? So I've come to Romans 9, and if you don't know about Romans 9, is a, the whole chapter is about this doctrine, this teaching in the Bible about election. And uh, as I was reading it, here was, here was what I thought in my prayer, right? Who am I? Who in the world am I? I'm a sinner. I, I am messed up, right? And, and you know what? Here's what God owes me. Hell. God owes me death. God owes me what Jesus got at the cross, judgment. But what did I get? I got to be chosen by God. That God rescued me out of the world as a sinner to make me his own, to make me one of the elect. Who am I? That, that he would open my eyes to the fact that I'm a sinner and that Jesus came to die to save sinners like me. Why, what in the world? And you know what happened? I was humbled. My gosh. I didn't do anything to deserve that. 
And I was encouraged. <laughs> Thank you, God, for your mercy uh, in my life. Right? Now, some people are not encouraged by this. Right? They think that, uh, well, if the doctrine of election is true, that God chooses to save some sinners out of the world, then, then that would just uh, rule out the necessity of telling them about Jesus. That's not what this passage says, though. Look at what it says. Look at this. I endure all things for the sake of the elect. You see that? So that, that they may attain the salvation. Paul's saying, listen, I'm going through all of this. I'm doing all this because I know God has chosen some people out here in the world. And if I tell them or someone else tells them, you know what? They will come to him. They will come. So that's good news about for you as a Christian here in Berkeley Springs. You know what that means? All is not dark. All is not lost. God's got a whole bunch of people out there. And if we just endure, stick with it, and be faithful, and tell them that Jesus, just like someone did for me, someone said, hey, Ricky, you're a sinner, but guess what? Good news. Christ died for you, and he has risen from the dead. And I heard God's voice say this. What the man is saying is true, and you need it. Maybe you're hearing that right now. Right? And God chose you, and you need to come on home. Right? And believe the gospel. Surrender your life to him. Bow your knee to Christ. And become a Christian. Uh, here today. If, if you already are a Christian, you know what? That ought to shoot through your heart like a lightning bolt of encouragement. Because that's what it's there for. And listen to this. He keeps going. This is, he just keeps going here. I do this, right, so that they may ob obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the elect are those who God saves through faith in Jesus. But why does he do it? What's salvation for? Why did God save? Why does God save people? All right, well, you know, why does he choose them? And it says here, to give us eternal glory. And what is that? All right, he's talking about heaven and stuff here. And you know, a lot of Christians uh, think that heaven's going to be like this one long worship service. The whole time we're just we're just up there and we're, and I love I love coming in here and singing and, and, and praising God. But you know what? I like to go home and have a sandwich too. You know? Listen, we only do this for like what? And two hours a week. There's a whole bunch of hours out here where we're doing stuff. I think heaven's probably gonna be more like that, minus all the difficulty and frustration and uh, pain. And so on. Heaven, according to the Bible, is Jesus coming down. He's bringing it with him. He's descending from heaven with the new heavens and the new earth, and he's going to make it new again. This is what the Bible teaches about heaven. So he's coming to judge everything that's evil. Set it right. Just like if someone had a broken bone and the doctor had to set the bone. Jesus is coming to do that with this old broken bone of a world. He's going to set it. He's going to put it back uh, together again. Here's what that means. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the, the older I get, the longer I live, the more I thank God, one day I'm going to have a new pancreas. Because mine stopped working. And I got diabetes. And it's a pain. Right? Amongst other things. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. No more sin. No more sin in my life. No more guilt and shame, and all this stuff, right? No more sickness, no more death, no more demons, no more devil. I mean, I think the trees are going to clap. 
Thank you, Jesus. When you come, the trees are going to clap, right? And the oceans are going to sing, right? And, and the birds, right? Everything is going, to, is going to give Jesus a standing ovation. Matter of fact, the Bible says that. And maybe they really will. Maybe they really will, right? And listen, Christians are the most persecuted uh, minorities uh, in the planet, on, the, on planet Earth. Not on that day. You're going to be honored. Eternal glory. You'll be there with Christ. You're going to be reigning with him over this world. That's what it says. All right, you're going to be loved there. And there's going to be something for you to do. Jesus has got a specific assignment, task, work for you to do in that world. And it's not going to be frustrated with um, just difficulty. You know, you know, when we go to do something around this building, as we've been um, renovating it, Anytime you go to do something, that opens up like a, a Pandora's box of like five or six more projects. That's just how it works, right? It's not going to be like that in heaven. You're going to be able to freely use your creativity and your imagination to, to serve God and to bless other people. That sounds way better to me. Now, I don't got time to show you all the verses. Just read the book of Revelation. You'll figure it out. Um, and most importantly, Jesus is going to be there. That's what's most important, and it's going to be food. That's what, and it's going to be wine, and it's going to be a celebration. That's what Jesus said when he was, had the Lord's Supper, the last supper, he said, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. <laughs> we don't celebrate with Jesus. Cheers. Thank God. All right, so fix Jesus firmly in your mind. That's how you stick with it. You remember stuff like this. Right? You, you just... Branded into your mind and your heart. So number two is, is fix Jesus firmly in your life. The question is, all right, what does it look like for this to walk and talk, the rubber to meet the road, um, the plan to lane in your real life? All right, so because Jesus has got to come up out of our hearts and our minds and spill out over into our regular lives. Look what he says in verse 11. This saying is trustworthy, right? You can live by this. You can really bank your life. This is good for you. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Now, you notice this is indented right here. And the reason that is in the scriptures, and there's more to this, by the way. Um, there's two more verses. The reason for that is most scholars believe that um, verse, verses 11 through 13 are a, a, a song. Right? So it was a popular song in the early church. Everybody would have known it. Uh, and Paul's like, hey, remember that song that we sing in church? Yeah, if we died with him, uh, we're going to also uh, live with him. So, what does it look like to fix Jesus firmly in your life? Number one, it is not about you. That's it. It is not about you. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If, if all of life is supposed to be about Jesus, then it can't be about you. It can't be about you. Uh, we can't focus on ourselves. Uh, so think about it like marriage and kids. And if we're thinking rightly about that, here's what marriage and kids do. And they are a fast lane to this. It's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about that bride of yours. And dying and loving her and dying for her and serving her. Right? And your kids. It's not about you. You go home, clock in at home. I'm going home to love and serve my family and my kids, to be present um, there with them. Uh, so this is how Jesus put it. Mark 8, 
34 and 35. Calling the crowds along with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Do what I did. Die with me. And follow me. How can you be crucified yet follow Jesus? Think about that. Here's how you do it. It's not about you. It's about him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. So what he's saying is that following Jesus, being a Christian, is the way of the cross. And what was the way of the cross? It was Jesus in the garden the night before he was crucified saying, Lord, not my will, but yours. Lord, not what I want here. It's not about me. Lord, what do you want here? Lord, I already know why you sent me, but man, this is difficult. Man. But I'm going to do it. Because it's not about me. Right? And this, here's what happens when you live this way. When you live uh, your life as if it's about Jesus and not about you, it destroys all anger, bitterness, restlessness, and frustration. Are those things a part of your life? Anger, bitterness, anxiety, restlessness, and frustration. And here's why that happens, right? We think the world revolves around us. Why aren't things going the way that I, that, I, that I think they should go? Why aren't people doing what they ought to be doing in my world? This is my world. That's why I'm mad about it. I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm restless because, well, God, don't you know it's my will and not yours? It's, you know? But when we live the opposite, man, that's freeing. It's not about me. It's about, it's about him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. All right, and that just means, very simply, it ain't about us. All right, it's about, it's about him. And, but then there's also this glorious promise here. If we die with him, we're going to live with him. All right, what a glorious promise. In this life, if it's not about us and we live to, for Jesus, and we live to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, and do what he says, right? And we're going to have a full life now. There's nothing more miserable than to be full of yourself, and to think it's all about you, and every life will revolve around you. But we'll have a full life now, and we'll also live with him in glory. So second, what does it look like to fix Jesus, not only in your mind, but your life? Number two, don't give up. Don't give up. Look at, what it's, look at what it says here in verse uh, 12 and 13. Oh, sorry, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul says, I endure all things. He said, listen, if we endure um, with him, how can you do that? How can you do that? How can you make it? How can you, how can you uh, not give up? A couple times a week, um, I go to the gym and play basketball, because I don't like lifting weights, right? I despise it, but I, I like to run around with a basketball in my hand and just get cardio uh, in, in that way. But I am not 20 years old anymore, right? And I feel like I'm moving in slow motion. Try to play defense, you know, and I tell my body, right? And my mind knows, all right, this is what you're going to do. Right, do this, Ricky. My body's like, no, Ricky. It's just slow motion. It just won't do it. Right? Maybe you feel like that as a Christian. You're trying, you know what I mean? But uh, you feel tired. You feel 
uh, worn out. Well, here's what you got to do. You got to fix Jesus firmly in your mind. You have to remember that the throne is occupied. That's what you got to do. That's what this passage says. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Can you know what that means? He is reigning right now. That's where you find strength in life. I mean, just, 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 just this week, remember, remember this. The grave is empty and the throne is occupied. Just, just tell yourself that this week. And, and, and just, it, it will strengthen you. And guess what? That throne's coming down one day. That throne that Jesus is sitting on is coming down one day. And if we endure with him, here's the promise that's laid, laid out for us. We're going to reign with him. Right? We're going to be celebrating um, with Jesus. Lastly, our passage gives us two warnings to fix our lives on Jesus. Warnings. 2 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot uh, deny himself. And all the warnings of scripture are like the, 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 the fire alarm that goes off all the time in town. Right? All the warnings of scripture are like that. They're saying, don't do this. Don't deny him. When it comes time, when there's an opportunity, and, and you know you've got to stand with Christ, don't deny him in that moment. If it comes an opportunity where you need to trust Christ and, and be obedient in that moment, don't deny him. And don't be faithless. Right? The, the, these these uh, warnings uh, are there. They're tools to help us to stick with it. And you have to imagine the Apostle Paul here. You have to imagine him in jail, dark jail cell, Ending, ending his life like this. Can you imagine that? How disappointing, how tempting it would be to be disappointing and discouraged in that moment. Is, really, God, this is what I've worked all this time for? 30 years for you? Here I am locked up. And he was worried about the church. And what would happen to Timothy? What would happen to the church? What would happen to the gospel after he died? And, and, and hidden within these warnings is this amazing encouragement. Paul can't go five seconds without laying out the encouragement, right? And here it is. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We just read, we just sang that. He is my rock, and he never changes. Right? He remains faithful. In other words, here it is. Nothing stops Jesus. He remains faithful. Paul said uh, earlier in this letter, everybody in, in, in Turkey deserted me. Phagellus, Hermogenes, they deserve me. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's faithless and they leave the church and, they're, and they're, they, they uh, prove themselves not to be Christians. It, it doesn't matter. Here, here's, here's the truth. He remains faithful. Right? Jesus remains faithful to all of his words. Every word that Jesus said, faithful. Every promise that ever, he ever made. Every plan that he ever said he was going to do. He is faithful, and we can trust him with our lives, and we can stick with it. And that's what we're going to do now. We want to respond to him.